Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. for getting into the chat and getting onto the broadcast. You were nearly here before us today. Uh, needless to say, there was a lot of scarpering at the last minute because, unfortunately, the internet at the studio has gone down. So you nearly were getting, well, at least not a live broadcast today anyway. But we are here, as bedraggled as we are, and ready to go. I'm joined, as always, by Tony Haggerty and Jim Moore. Tony, how you doing? Okay, I think bedraggles the word because I've just come in for walking the dog, change the hat and all that. Hats, <laughs> badges and tapes, pair of colours. Yes, uh, but yeah, bad hair day, so keep the hat on. Hats, scarves, badges and tapes indeed. Jim, how are you doing? Good Lord, glad to be back. Yes, yes. Glad to, be, glad to have you back. Um, <laughs> uh, plenty to discuss and we're also hopefully going to be joined by uh, Celtic by Numbers, also more commonly known as Alan Morrison later on in the show, hopefully. Um, but until he comes in, we will crack on with what we've got to discuss. First thing we have to discuss, obviously, Jim, you weren't here uh, with us the last couple of weeks. It's been an up and down couple of weeks. So I wanted to ask your sort of brief summation of, of uh, the defeat followed by the win up at Aberdeen and, and how you think things are going. Is there any more signs of optimism on your side? Is there anything concerning you that you've seen? Yes, to all the above. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think the Dundee United game was, was the one the previous Saturday, which I thought we played okay. We made loads of chances, should have won the game. And I was fairly optimistic after the game. I was obviously disappointed to drop the two points, but I thought we had them pinned back the last 20 minutes and a goal was going to come. So I thought well, we did okay. It was similar to the Ross County game a wee bit. And I could understand why he left a Yeti on. There was lots of people getting wanting a Yeti off. But Yeti could played similar against Ross County as a goal scorer. So I thought we were unlucky against Dundee United. Uh, by Leverkusen, we knew before the match, we could get hammered here. We could get a real doing. And I thought the first 25 minutes were, were excellent. Uh, Kyogo, 
He's the guy that missed the two chances. It wasn't a big Ange. It was Turnbull fell on his backside. It wasn't a big Ange that fell on his backside. Uh, we lose that first goal. We lose the second goal. And people start booing the team, which is really unhelpful. We're playing this crack German team who've spent tens of millions of pounds on the players. And we're losing by a couple of goals and fans are booing the team. Come out the second half, first 10 minutes. Excellent again. Put them under pressure. Uh, unfortunate to lose the penalty kick. Really unfortunate. All of a sudden, we're three down. And at that point, you know, there's still 35 minutes to go. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of fans start to leave. You know, I mean, obviously, if you pay your money, you can do what you want within reason, but we need people to support the team at the moment. Uh, and, you know, if you, if, if you were to contrast that with the Aberdeen game, with the fans, you know, they sang for 90 minutes, supported the team, and that's faithful through and through. That's, we don't care if we win, lose, or draw. You know, so I just think the team needs a lot of support. Just now, we are where we are, and it's not the team's fault, and it's not Ange's fault, it's Peter Law's fault, and the dysfunctional board. That's not to say that you can't criticise Ange, but I think we need to get behind the team. So we end up losing 4-0 against a really, really good team. Hey-ho, we are where we are. I was more concerned about the Aberdeen game. I thought it was a really poor performance. Uh, maybe after the exertions against Bayer. But we won the game because Aberdeen were worse. That's one of the poorest Aberdeen teams I've seen for the last 20 years. I, mean, I heard you guys last week talking about uh, Scott Brown and, and uh, Lewis Ferguson. It's going to be a hard battle. It wasn't. They were powder puff. You know, and that's how we won the game because they were really so poor. Uh, it was an awful advert for Scott Schubel. I thought it was a terrible, terrible game. Uh, when they scored, I kind of felt for the first time this season we may not win the league because I couldn't see where we could score. And it was just belief that we won the game. Uh, pure belief. I think we're just hanging one by our fingernails to this league challenge. Uh, and every game, I think, it's going to be like this. And you could tell by Ange after the game, you know, when he came on the pie, it wasn't like that kind of waving to the fans. He was like, you know, pumping the chest and the stress he looked under. You know, and I could have wondered mm. whether... Maybe next time we get the Japanese or the Australian guys on, is that how he reacted <clears throat> in, his, in his first season? Because they all talk about, well, his first season's a bit, you know, easy oozy. <laughs> it wasn't easy oozy last Sunday. You know, you can see he was feeling the pressure last Sunday. And whether he's now kind of thinking that this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. Because again, as I've maybe said in previous weeks, he's running that club on his own. Mm. On his own. And the rest are all hiding. You know, the new chief executive, who, where is he? The board. They're all hiding behind them. And, uh, so it's good that we're still in it. But no more than six behind because I think we can still win this league. But obviously we can't afford to drop any more points. But I was a bit concerned by the game last week because uh, I've said before, I think we're maybe not as mentally strong as we should be. And I read uh, Etams, they made an interesting point after the Dundee United game and, and they said that not one of the starters against Dundee United was a regular starter last season which showed the complete overhaul in the team you know uh, that's enough for other things I'll say well, I'll let Tony <laughs> um, no just before Tony before I bring you in I'm going to make an early lineup, unlike uh, many Celtic managers of the past and bring in Alan Morrison how you doing Alan? yeah very good thanks uh, sorry, sorry I'm a bit late but good to join you thank you no problem, no problem. It could be a game changer going forward for the rest of the podcast, so we will wait. But Tony, <laughs> youth, off, youth off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, I'll come back to you before yeah. we bring Alan in. I've got a few stats-related things that I'm sure he'll be interested to discuss a bit further, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, on what, what Jim said there and picked up on about um, the lack of challenge from Scott Brown and Lewis Ferguson in the Aberdeen midfield at the weekend. You know, there was a lot of discussion before uh, and previously about what Scott Brown could still offer us. Mm-hmm. I think, personally, having seen that match at the weekend against Aberdeen, I, I don't feel like we're missing anything from him. I feel like we have moved on from that period and we can kind of put that a little bit to, to rest. Not that I'm putting words into your mouth. Please feel free to, to speak uh, your I, mind. I just think, thankfully for Celtic, both of them were ranked rotten. Weren't they? <laughs> to be fair, I mean, if you want to, you want to get down your brass tacks, they were both ranked rotten. And as Jim said, it was a dreadful, dreadful match. Point gap to Rangers and, and still in it. But I agree with a lot of what Jim said there about kind of you saw Andy's reaction 
after it and stuff. That that's the first time you maybe did think he was feeling the pressure of it all and mm-hmm. not sure not what he signed up for, as Jim said there. Don't know about that, but hey, he's in this movie now, so it has to be the right movie for him, doesn't it? it has to be the right movie for the team. But it was a poor, poor game. But I think you ask any Celtic supporter last week, it it was just relief when they got the mm-hmm. winner. And also kind of a way of saying to the players that they can actually do that now. You know, they can win away from home, they can win ugly. And, you know, I think so I think it was a I think it was a kind of watershed moment hopefully in the season for Celtic. You know, time will tell on that, but it was a big massive albatross around their neck that they removed. You know, because quite serious questions were being asked. You know, and to drop points at home against Dundee United was bad enough, but had they gone to Petaudry and dropped more points then, people were saying it was all over, you know, mm-hmm. even at, that, at this early juncture. And is that hyperbolic? I'm not too sure. Because you just sort of look at the team and you think, all right, they can't afford to fall any more points behind. Bottom line, they need to go on a win and run. Hopefully that's the catalyst for it. And Alan will be able to tell us some numbers behind those theories, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, it's... I I was just happy they get the job done. I think that's the kind of silver lining and the kind of it was the it was probably the happiest win of the season, most nerve wracking, but the happiest win of the season and given this it gave the supporters the most joy this season because they proved that they can go to the end and get a late winner. So onwards and upwards, as Jim would say. Yeah, we we move on. We move on. Um Alan, to bring you in and set the tone a little bit for, for some of the questions I've got, <laughs> I thought mm. I would bring this up from Mr Briggs. XG, not for me, all that matters is the final score. I'm <laughs> not sure I agree, I agree entirely. <laughs> you know. the, the easy ones first, Alan. Deal with the easy ones first, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no. and, and it was part of the reason I was excited to have you on, Alan, today was, uh, you know, Obviously, I speak to Jim and, and Tony every week about Ange Postacoglu and the the process and the phrase "trust the process" comes into mm-hmm. comes comes into play. I saw an interesting graph that John from sixty seven Hail Hail retweeted, uh, which suggested that the xG uh, for chances created against us was lower than f- for any other. Um, team in the division and the XG for chances that we created was higher than any other team in the division so basically my layman's understanding of that is we create really good chances and the teams that are playing against us don't create good chances and obviously the the caveat to that comes with the results uh, at the end of the day that haven't been as great as they could be but are you seeing enough based on the numbers that you look at, the stats that you look at, to suggest that Ange is having a positive impact on the way that we're playing? Yeah, sure. So just, just to address the initial point about you know XG and it's the only the score that matters, that that's actually uh, incorrect. And I'm probably going to get pelters for that, but it is actually incorrect. So if you look at, and I'll give you the example of uh, Brentford and, and uh, Benham that, that runs Benford. So ben, Benham basically made his money setting up uh, a high-end uh, analytics company that provided market information to, to serious gamblers. And what what he found using expected goals models was that if you if you modelled the league table, and this is, again, one of the great football questions is the league table doesn't lie. Actually, it does. Because if you <laughs> model the league table using expected goals, it's more predictive of future performance than if you model it using actual goals scored. Teams get lucky, goalkeepers make great saves. Football's a low-scoring game. You know, one goal can have a massive impact on somebody either being in a relegation zone and, and, and or not, and confidence and all those sort of things then start to kick in. But if you so what if what they found was is their clients were making a lot of money by betting on the outcome of games based on the expected goals um, data rather than the actual goals data. So that's why it's that's why it's important. And this and all of the data that I collect. Uh, and, and what we collect and, and the various people use from places like Y Scout and Statsbomb and all these sort of things is really about analyzing performance. And the reason you analyze performance is because you want to see, you know, how, how predictive is that? Is it going to improve, you know, et cetera? Because, because by analyzing the performance, that gives you a, a feel for how we're going to perform in the future. Whereas looking at a result only tells you about the outcome of that game. It doesn't tell you anything about how you might perform 
in, in future. So that's why this is important, I feel, and, and hopefully others do as well. In terms of your question about, you know, how, where are Celtic under Postacoglu and, and how, are, how are they doing? Um, I, I, absolutely. Um, now, listen, it's, it's, we've only played eight league games, right? So by any statistical uh, analysis, that's a very small sample. And Celtic have blown, I've had a couple of blowouts in those games. I've absolutely destroyed a couple of teams 6 0. So that, that is going to skew the data, right? Those, but I mean, and in the but in those games, you know, it wasn't like Celtics XG was like one one or something, and they scored six. Their XG was like five or six, and they scored six. So like they're actually they actually got the rewards that their play kind of deserved a little bit in that in that sense. So listen, lo- lots of um, warning signs around sample size, but but to cut to the chase, if you look across um, all sorts of metrics that I collect across the SPFL. Celtic are, are their league position really doesn't reflect the data that, that, that of the underlying performances. You know, our, our average expected goals per game is three point two, and we've only scored two point four goals per game. So you'd hope that over what what you'd expect over a long period is that the um, actual goals would revert closer to the expected goals. Um, that's what you that's what you normally expect to happen. Similarly, um, expected goals against Celtic are point six. Four, and they're actually conceding 0.75. So we're underperforming in terms of scoring less goals than the expected goals would suggest, and we're conceding more, slightly more goals than the expected goals suggest. So that, some, some of that could be down to luck, right? Some of that could be down to a great save from the goalkeeper or what have you, like I say. Uh, it's a low-scoring sport. But the, underlying, but the underlying point there is that both those numbers are far better than any other team in the league. So Celtic's 3.24 expected goals per game the next highest is uh, 1.68. Almost double expected goals uh, from the nearest challenger. And our expected goals against of 0.64, the next the next lowest is 0.91. So again, we're significantly a third, you know, uh, lower, if you like, than that. And again, if I, I could take you through, I don't want to sort of turn this into a, recital of a spreadsheet which is exactly what i'm looking at but if i, if you, I could take you through all sorts of stats and i'll do i will do an article on this in the next week or so you know shots in the box number of shots in total number of shots against uh, possessions in the box number of saves that the opposition goalkeeper is forced into um, cross completion on and on and on celtic are actually leading on all of those metrics so far so the summary of all of that and sorry to you know, maybe bore people with data there. The summary of all that is that the underlying performance data looks pretty good. And I think that's astonishing because we can all see there are glaring, absolutely glaring uh, faults in this Celtic lineup and, 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 and in the, the squad and the depth of the squad and the ability to change the, the direction of the game. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons that Celtic won against Aberdeen was, was probably for the first time in the season we were able to bring somebody of the calibre of Rogic off the bench and he provided the the through ball for Montgomery to square for Yota. That ability to bring on a game-changing player has not been available to Postacoglu in virtually any game uh, this season. That, that's huge. And if we can get to a position where we've got three or four players on the bench that can come on and make that impact, then you start to see the benefit of why Celtic's wage bill is 20 times that of an Aberdeen or a, or, a, or a Hearts or what have you, because that's the benefit you should get from from being able to do that. And we haven't been, we haven't seen that. So there's, there's huge problems that Postecoglou has to face. The midfield is an absolute shambles. The fullback positions are so below the quality that Celtic need, and those are key 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 positions. And then the attacking um, uh, positions, there's been a lack of cover and, and no ability to change to change the game. One example would be, you know, Yota. Yota has played 90 minutes in seven consecutive matches now. The last time he did that was for Benfica B team year, a few years ago. And that wasn't two games a week. That was one game a week. So the kid, the kid is, is, is playing an intensity of football he's never experienced in his life before under, under pressure. So the, and these, and this is just, that's just one, one little problem <laughs> that, that, that Postacoglu is trying to wrestle with. But the underlying data, I would say, is very promising. It does sound very promising, not least for Tim Billy, who says this guy must win, <laughs> must win a fortune in the coupons. I, I don't, don't know bet. If that's I don't gamble. Maybe for some more info, Alan, in the future, and maybe maybe we can split the winnings. But um, Tony, I know for you know, I, I find the the stats stuff really really interesting, and I love to listen to it. I listen to 
the Huddle Breakdown and other podcasts like it just because I'm a bit of a geek that way. Um, <laughs> I know that you are seeing more stats come into the game and, and you you use them sort of sparingly, if you like. Um, again, not trying to put words in your mouth, but do, does what Alan's suggesting there in terms of what the stats show and the positivity of the way the play is improving, do you see that reflected on the pitch, just given it, you know, the eye test that most football fans would? I think the kind of stats are betraying where Celtic should be, and that's what mm. Alan's kind of saying there, right? And that's fair enough. But, I mean, if the scientific evidence is there and the, and all you have to do is prove it and that Celtic are going in the right direction, then you have to take that on board. As I say, it's a, it's a vital part of football now and lots and mostly every manager is now relying on, on stats and stuff to prove it, you know. So that's fine and I get that it's a very important part. I just think that, uh, you know, Alan said what Celtic expected goals average Alan 3.2 or something, did you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, in the SPFL, yeah. Yeah, but they've scored what two point two point six six point something. Uh, well, that, yeah, that disparity. Two point three eight. Sorry, two point three eight. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a clear disparity. <laughs> there. Yeah, there's a clear disparity there. But you're yeah. saying the same that they're creating those chances to score those goals. Yeah, so I, I mean, the bad, the, what, what would be really bad is if that number was low, or or if we were massively yeah. overperforming, and what you'd expect to see then is a, a regression yeah. to the mean, as they say. The stats are saying. They should be higher up the table. That's what I mean. So it's yes, backing up. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are underperforming. So and I think that's what kind of fans are finding it hard. Some fans are finding it hard to get their head around that. Yes. That's all. So, 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 so sorry, Tony, if I can come in. So the, the, the cynic cynic analysis um produce a expected points league table, which is based on expected goals. And and of course everyone everyone like, you know, oh you you're just finding you're inventing data to put Celtic at the top of the league kind of thing. You get all this sort of stuff. But actually, the same methodology was used the last two years that showed that the Rangers were not as far behind, or that, you know, that showed that how far they were ahead mm. at the beginning of last season, the same methodology, and it showed that they weren't as far behind Celtic the season before as the actual league table suggested, which was proven the following season. So this is a, this is a methodology which, as I say, is exactly the same process that Matthew Benham went through in terms yeah. of you know uh, the English Premier League, especially and 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 gambling and predicting, um, and it does show that actually if if games if games were played on the on the computer, Monte Carlo simulation, blah blah blah, Celtic you know should be should be for much further up the table, absolutely. But the proof on that is what Brentford are doing right now, isn't it? So you look at it and say right, then it has its it has its merits. Clearly, that's what I, that's what I'm driving at. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, about, it's about performance. It's about looking at performance, mm-hmm. I keep coming back to. And I think, you know, Postacogli makes this point himself. It's what he's concerned about is how the team perform. Because if you are performing at a high level, the results will come. You know, you might hit the bar, you might lose to an unlucky last minute penalty. But if you keep performing to that in, in, that, in a certain way, to a certain level, the results will come. Yeah, that that seems to be certainly the way I'm reading it, that the results will come. Um, Jim, your thoughts on it? I mean, it's certainly the way that football's going in terms of a stats-driven game. And I think our manager is maybe a bit surprised that, that we as a club aren't going that way. You know, he was crying out for a sports scientist who now, thankfully, has got, who I know is more on the physical medical side of things. Yeah. But having spoken to Jared last week, he mentioned that A-League teams have numerous sports scientists, numerous uh, stats analysts and stuff on their books at the club. Do you think that's the way Celtic need to modernise going forward to to have the success of a, a Brentford or a similarly run club? Or do you think it's, you know, horses for courses, clubs run differently? And No, no, of course we need that. I think what Alan is saying is keep the faith, basically, that we're not as bad as people think we are. Uh, I think all the, the objective data that Alan got kind of, kind of backs up the subjective view of the fans. Because I think apart from the second half of Ibrox, We've, we've dominated most games. Games have been unlucky hitting the bar. Talked about Dun United game, hit the bar three times, and Yeti misses them two yards out. So, you know, one of them changed, we win the game. So I don't think we've been as bad as people make out. It's the fact we're dropping points. And that's what's leading to this theory. And we'll get to a point that maybe we've dropped too many points and we're too far behind. But I, I love all the stat stuff. And I think uh, the more stats, the better, because it gives us a far better understanding of what's happened. But I think in most cases, it tends to back up the subjective view of the fan who's watching the game. One thing I'm interested to ask Alan would be, in terms of a badder, 
how does his stats fare? Because I'm this is, to, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. You're anti Abada. I, I know where he's going. Abada for me is a man down. I mean, he's popped up with a few goals <laughs> and he's scored a few goals and he showed a real striker's instinct. But he's hardly beat a man. He never tracks back. Rolson's doing the job with two players. And I just think we're a man down for Abada. But I read a stat a few weeks ago that Abada was involved in X number of goals. I think what the stats maybe don't show you is the impact on the team. You know, I think if we had somebody else instead of a badder playing there, would he create more chances? Would he score more goals? Because what I would like to see was a kind of tweak in the team. I'd like to see them go 4-1-3-2. Four, four, so I think we need to find a way of playing two up front. And Kyogo, for me, fantastic through the centre, but play him wide. He's a man down. And Ibrox, <laughs> he did nothing. Last Sunday, put him wide, he does nothing. And impacts the whole team for me. So I would like to see Kyogre certainly up the centre, get Yakimakis in the team, which means that we don't have to go just around the team or through the team and go over the team. Maybe Kyogo could pick up the scraps. I'd like to see Yota on the right. That is his best game is against Betis on the right. And he would at least track back. I'd like to see Montgomery on the left. I think he's better going forward. And he can also track back. Kalmak in the one. Kyogo... Uh, Giamakis up front, and either Turnbull and Rogic in the centre. And we can keep playing the heart attack football at the back if he wants to do that. But I just think, and I'm sure the boy will be an excellent player for us. I've not just had, I just, at this moment in time, I think Abad is mm, not for me. Well, the stats Alan, Alan. Alan straight <laughs> love the doctor says Abada's stats are a bit weird. I'm praying for you to save me here because I, I've got a soft spot for Abada. I spoke to him at the, the fan press conference when he signed. So regardless of, of whether the stats or the performances back up, I'm I'm backing him all the way. Come on, give give us your best. Back me up here. Oh, the, the cold hard stats are, are no uh, respecter of soft spots, Laura. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> but no, no, listen, no, listen. I think he's a fascinating player and I kind of agree with the sentiment in, in the comment that came through. Um, it and, and, and I do need to look at this more deeply. I'm just having a wee quick flick through at the moment. Um, it would probably astonish you, uh, Jim, to know that <laughs> Abada has got the highest expected assists uh, rate of the squad at the moment and it's really high it, it, it's unsustainably high I would say um, so I take it all back sorry I'm away Jim, that, Jim that's Alan flicking an imaginary V-sign at you there by the way <laughs> no not at all not at all listen it's still apart early from days. that apart from that Alan apart from that it's still, it's still early days I, th- I would say because I, I think when I, as I'm watching him without a sort of stats head on watching him from a performance analysis perspective, I think he's got potentially elite level movement. Uh, his, his, his movement off the ball is potentially elite level in the, in the sense of his ability to arrive in the box at precisely the right moment. Yeah. He said elite. Yes, yeah. But don't, I'm, 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 yeah. And, I, you know, potentially I'm said as well. That was the key word, potentially. <laughs> I also said that he actually showed a real striker's instinct in yeah. the box. Yeah, I I made the point on the huddle breakdown yesterday uh, that I, I I think that Abad is potentially a right winger playing a striker playing as a right winger and yes. Yoss is a left potentially a number ten playing as a, a left winger. Um, uh, and it was interesting just to come back to the Aberdeen game. W- what happened was again because we didn't have the players that could come off the bench and change the game. Is that our two most creative players, Abada and Jota, were up against two very young, athletic fullbacks who are actually very strong at stopping the dribble. And that's part of the reason why Celtic's attack ground to a halt during that game. Um, I don't think Mackenzie and Ramsey are particularly technically gifted, but they're big, strong lads and quick, and, and they, they did very well closing closing that down. But back to Abada, um, it's actually his expected goals total is, is um, lower than I would have expected. It's about just under one, uh, 0.4 per game. But... Um, that's because I think he, t- he tends to, you know, he's got the Christie disease. He tends to take a lot of uh, optimistic shots from not not very good uh, distances and angles. Um, I did a wee, I did a wee plotting graph yesterday, uh, actually, and, and I think one of the reasons why, probably why Abada splits opinion is he's one of these players that I would classify as a as a high risk taker. And what I mean by that is he attempts passes that are very difficult. He attempts uh, through balls that are very difficult. He attempts crosses that are very difficult. He tries to do difficult stuff. Now, I think 
that I think that's going to be a feature of Postacoglu's team. He wants game changers in the final third, players that are going to try difficult and game-changing things. What that means is you, you'll get a lot of, oh, God, he's always giving the ball away, or, oh, my God, that was a bad decision. And I mean, Yota, Yota's final third decision-making isn't great. Um, and that's that, and that in, in his career in the data that is seen as being his biggest weakness. Abada actually, I, I plotted two things. One is expected assists. So how creative is is the player being? Because if you if I pass the ball to you, Tony, and you balloon it over the bar, that's not my fault. You you know you, you know I still get the credit for the for giving you the, the opportunity, right? Not um, <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it bobbled. I'm sure you got a rough a rough bubble. Um, the other thing I plotted was how how many times is the player losing possession in the final third? So you know they get they get the ball in the final third, and then we don't get a corner, we don't get a shot, we don't create a chance. They just lose possession, and Abada is in the top right quadrant of that particular plotting. So he loses the ball a lot, but he also is the has got the highest creativity stats. So he takes a lot of risks, and and I think he's in that sense he's a very good fit for a Postacoglu uh, signing. And Yota's not that far behind him, to be fair. Um, and, and bless him, Ryan Christie would be up there in the same sort of ballpark. Oh, well. Uh, he'll, have to, he'll have to work on his expected goals and assists uh, with... No, it's a good news story, I think. Sorry, I wasn't... I tried, I'm tried. i just trying to present the numbers and not, not give us objective. <laughs> but, but no, my, my, my takeaway Okay, see you next week. My, Bye. Yeah, yeah. No, my takeaway, my takeaway from that, my takeaway from that would be that... There's a good know, night I'm, from me. There's a good night from Jim. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy That's a with Abada. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy with Abada. I, I can oh, see okay. the weaknesses. He doesn't get... I mean, Jota, for example has got a, a wonderful ability to get on the ball. He's some, he, he finds space and he gets on the ball, and he gets on the ball a lot for a wide player, whereas Abada's one of these that doesn't see the ball for 20 minutes. But once he does get it, yes. he tries to make something happen, and, the, and that really comes through in the data. I think from a subjective well, point of view, Alan, I, watching the games, when I see Abada, he tends to go back more than go forward. When Jota gets the ball, his head's up, and he's taking players on. And as you said, there's, there's times where... Abada's never near the ball for 20, 30 minutes. And I just think, from a subjective point of view, maybe a more effective, maybe a different type of player over there. And Yota's been great, I think. Anyway, I shall, I shall bow to the stats and this one, but I still think we should change things. Brian Walsh on YouTube is paraphrasing our very own wordsmith, Tony Haggerty, saying this is fascinating stuff. It's the application of uh, this kind of thing that will drag analogue Celtic into the digital age. And speaking of dragging yourself into the digital age, you can subscribe to a Celtic statement. How smooth was that, guys? I'm getting getting this. You can... uh, Subscribe to our State of Mind on YouTube. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, Twitter. We're going live on Twitch, LinkedIn and various other platforms. So get involved in the comments. As you can see, we love to hear from you. Um, and don't forget about the giveaways that we have for new subscribers and old. Uh, this month's one is a Bobby Lennox signed print. So um, get involved and you can be in with a chance of winning those giveaways. We've given away uh, some platinum disc displays and things from uh, bands who unfortunately I don't listen to I'm waiting for the Westlife one but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens um, wait uh, a long time Laura I know I, I think I'm fear I will be you know but uh, we'll see what happens um, Tony I'll come to you as the strapline says does the international break give Ange time to regroup you know, international break for a lot of teams is that chance for, for players who've maybe struggled to up to get fitness to get a bit more dedicated time from the staff that remain behind. We've certainly had a long injury list, but it also gives Ange a bit of time to to ingrain a little bit more of that football and philosophy. Do you think this has come at a welcome time for him that off the back of a strong result, he can regroup and hopefully pushes forward going into the next part of the season? I think he joked himself that it's came at a bad time because the last one wasn't kind to him, didn't he? And he made <laughs> about the international players going away and if they got injured, don't bother coming back. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I think 
it's good and a bad thing, isn't it? Because I, I think Andy's a, going back to it, I think he's a digital manager working with an analog board, basically, as I said before, and, and some <laughs> analog players potentially. But the good thing about him is he's a training ground manager, right? And he, in, in this two weeks, he will get a chance to work with some of the players, get some of the injured ones back to some kind of fitness. But he would also, on the flip side, probably have wanted to build some more momentum and he would maybe have preferred a game. You know, so international breaks are kind of, you take what you want from them. The last one was a disaster. They lost two most influential players in Kyogo and McGregor. They'll be praying that nothing like that happens again, but that's what happens in football. You can't legislate for that. You can't legislate for players being injured in international duty. But the ones that he's got back home, and I'm thinking more the likes of Julian and Forrest, you know, guys like that, Juranovic, it's a chance to nurse them back to, you know, or full fitness if you can and, you know, and, and really get to work with them. And I think I think that's a problem with uh, a lot of managers. They, these international breaks come and they don't get enough time to work with the players because you know, it's split up and various players go away. So, But he'll, he'll be trying, certainly. And I'd be very interested to see how far away the likes of Julian, Forrest and Juranovic are on the resumption after the international break. I'd like to think that they would be close. You know, Julian, just his date keeps getting put back and that worries me slightly. But as I've spoken before, I don't want any unnecessary risk to be taken with Julian considering the extent of his injury and, you know, to to, to the knee. And the knee's just one of those things you cannot muck about with. It. You cannot put somebody in who's not 100% fit with a knee injury. I'm sorry, you just can't. So I'm, I'm, I'm allowing for that. But, you know, I think it was a good and a bad thing. Good in the sense that you'll get time to work with players and instill more of your philosophy, your style, you know, get guys more comfortable with it and bad in the sense that you probably would have wanted the games to come thick and fast again to, to build some momentum. Mm, I, think, I, I think hopefully I'm on the positive side of things and think, you know, like you say, fingers crossed, if we don't get any injuries the same as we did the last time, we can come out of it better. Jim, um, Tony raises an interesting point, and it's one that I wanted to get your thoughts on. We discussed it briefly last week. It's now probably coming up to and will be almost a year if Julian gets back into the squad in the next couple of weeks. We talked last week about, you know, perhaps absence making the heart grow fonder and thinking that he's maybe thought of as a better footballer than he maybe is. What are your thoughts on Julian and do you think, you know, he's going to strengthen the squad if he does come back in in the near future? Certainly gives us more physicality. What was he, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big guy in both ends of the pitch. So, uh, yeah, it'd be good to have him back fully fit and I think he'll add to the team. Interest is you drops out because uh, I think I've said before, I think Starfield's been kind of much maligned. I think he's played reasonably well in the big games, unless Alan's going to tell me otherwise. <laughs> uh, he's made the odd mistakes in the kind of not-so-big games, like it was good last week. Uh, Carl Vickers, yeah, he's been OK as well. So, uh, obviously, Ange, I can't imagine he's going to switch to a back three. So, be interested who he comes in for, if he does come in. You know, because as, as you just said, Tony, that's a bad, bad injury. You know, and, and do you lose a yard of pace? Are you a bit hesitant to get in for 50-50s and whatever? And, yeah. And again, without trying to be too down on a player, I mean, I think one of the issues I had with Julian in his uh, Celtic career was he was a bit of a drama queen at times, you know, <laughs> and uh, maybe that's unfair. Uh, but as the two we've got just now, I don't think a drama queen. So, Big Ange will see them on the training pitch. He'll know who he's, who he's best to at three are. Uh, I'd like to think he'll be good enough to come back in. I'd like to think he made a difference because he scored some big, big goals for us the season before last. And he was a big miss last year and he injured at a time where we had a, a, a kind of wee run of whatever it was, five or six wins and we're looking half decent and if maybe if he'd have played at Ibrox if Bucks and Nibbies, who knows uh, but yeah, we need as many players back as possible and I think just to, in terms of the strap line, I think it's a good thing I think, I think we've had a horrendous injury list, that gives another couple of weeks to hopefully get one or two back as Tony says, gives Andrew a chance to work on the training pitch Gives us a chance to relax for a couple of weeks because it's been quite an intense, whatever it's been so far, eight, nine weeks of the season. I mean, I've played a ridiculous number of games in the eight, nine weeks. We got the win last week, which makes us all happy. So we're into the break, you know, a lot, a lot happier. If we haven't scored that goal last week, it'd be doom and gloom just now. So uh, 
that's the process we'll take from that. Two weeks to relax and refocus and hope to go to to, to Fur Park and uh, get another victory. But in terms of Julian, yeah, it'd be good to get him back soon as the same as James Forrest as well. Alan, is there a start for expected heaters? <laughs> well, do, do, do track aerial aerial challenges, and and, and you know the the, the Starfelt is a really fascinating one because uh, you know he, he look he divides people. He looks awkward. I mean, for me, I have a problem. I can't get over just watching him because he just looks awkward. His mo- his physical movement is weird. It's really strange. He, he seems to take far too many body movements to do what I think is a really simple thing. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it properly. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, and But but actually, you know, I think he, I agree with, with Jim. He's been much maligned unfairly. He did make a couple of mistakes in the early days. Starfelt's data is massively um, depressed by the fact he's not aerially dominant. He's very good on the ground. But he's not—he's not a big guy, and he's not particularly strong in the air. That, and that's really the the difference that Julian uh, brings. Julian is hugely. I mean, when Julian we signed Julian, Julian was probably the most dominant aerial defender in the French top league, both in both boxes. Right? He, that, that's how effective he is. And remember, Ju- Julian and I are by by the data are the best centre half pairing we've had since Van Dijk and Denier. Yeah. Absolutely, no doubt about that. So he's a top defender. Um, whether he fits in Postacoglu's system, you know, because he's not the quickest, and a year out with a knee injury isn't going to make him faster. I suggest uh, Julien playing a, playing a high line, um, you know, is going to be is going to be interesting. But you know, we are we are weak in the air at the moment because Carter Vickers isn't a big guy. They're both of them around. You know, Welsh Carter Vickers, Starfield, they're all just about six foot, no more. Um, and none of them are aerially dominant. So, and we know in the Scottish game whether we like it or not, um, that is a factor because you know teams play a tremendous number of long balls in the skin Scotland. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, don't I, I think it's. I think. I think. I completely agree with you, Tony. Whatever happens, we have got to ease him back very, mm. very gently, not take a risk. Yeah. He's a big guy, right? And and again, big big guy, big guys don't heal as quickly. You know, he, he carries in his frame, he carries more weight than most players. So all of those are factors that you know suggest he needs to be nursed back very very gradually. Alan, while we're on the, the subject of defence, Paradise sixty three on YouTube has asked: Does Alan have a view on our defence at the moment? As Ralston and Monty look like average fullbacks. It's a discussion that we've had a lot on the podcast about who the who the first choice mm. fullbacks would be. You know, some people have suggested Scales can play at left back. Obviously, Juranovic has played at both left and right back, but prefers right back predominantly. Um, and Taylor, who's obviously injured at the moment, is another option that we have. What are you making of the fullback uh, position in, in terms of the way you look at the game? Because I know you mentioned earlier you, you thought it was one of the signs of weakness in the team. Yeah, massively, and and it's an important role um, within Postecoglou's system, as all 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 all, uh, all roles are, of course. But the way that Postecoglou is trying to get the team to play isn't easy. It's not an easy uh, system to learn and to play properly, because and the reason that I say that is because you're asking players to make a lot of decisions, and the more decisions you ask people to make, the more complex the system is. And therefore, the harder it is to implement, which is why I think net net the international break is a good thing, if it gets him more time on the training pitch to get his his philosophy and his ideas and the way he wants the team to play. Um, and asking somebody like Tony Ralston um, to play as an inverted fullback and essentially build the play from a deep sort of six position and be providing passes out wide to a winger or through balls to the to the midfield advanced midfield players is a little bit of a stretch, as we've seen. Um, I mean, I, I'm absolutely loath to criticise Ralston because, my God, the, guy, the lad puts in a shift and mm. just for sheer effort, you cannot fault the guy at all. But he's just so far from qu- the quality that Celtic need, unfortunately, in terms of you know the amount of time he just gives the ball away. He can't complete simple passes. Watching, watching him try to take on... The Leverkusen left back and get to the byline was, was just painful. I mean, you can't you can't but admire his ambition and <laughs> to think that he could do that. But you know, it's just not it's just not the right player for that for that system. He's just not a player of, of sufficient quality, unfortunately. Um, with Montgomery, I, I'm kind of going to sit on the fence a little bit because 
when I watch in uh, when I watch the game as a as a fan as I do like we all do, um, not with my sort of analytical head on when I watch it the second time, I, I get frustrated with him because I think he gives the ball away a lot. But I come back to this point about risk takers, so I'm not quite sure with Montgomery quite what we've got. I always I always I'll, I'll tell you this when I've captured the data from the game. I always end up going, oh, he didn't play as badly as I thought he did with Montgomery. <laughs> so that, that, uh, take, take from that what you will. Um, I'm, I'm going to give the guy a pass for now because I'm not sure uh, what we've got in Montgomery in terms of a player. Um, but if, in, in any event, he's a young kid that's been thrown into, again, a complex system uh, with very little support. And I'm not sure, you know, obviously he's not going to be, I wouldn't think he's going to be the long-term answer. I think Juranovic is going to be a class act. He's a proper player. And if we can get him fit and into that right-back spot, I think we're in good shape in that position. But we've got an issue at left-back because, you know, I hate to say it, but potentially Bolingoli is the best option that we've got. But but probably for political reasons, you know, he doesn't seem to feature. Yeah. Um, whose news on YouTube says Ralston would run through brick walls for Celtic? Absolutely. I think, that, I think that's the point you were making. It was um, He almost plays like, like most of us would in a Celtic shirt. We would try our hardest, even though we might not be quite good enough to actually do what we think we can. Um, Jim, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but um, I think it was a Leverkusen game, our very own Russell Boyce shared that picture of the two inverted fullbacks standing in the centre circle, way out of position. We had a bit of a more detailed discussion with, with Jared and Tony on it last week. Um, Jim, what's your opinion on this whole inverted fullback thing? Is it something that we can actually play against better opposition? Is it something the players need to get used to? Or is it a, an idea that's kind of got you concerned? Got me concerned, yeah. I'll go for option three there. Got me concerned. <laughs> I think... Uh, my understanding was that with the inverted fullback, one goes and one stays. So mm. I don't know if that was a mistake the players made if one goes and one stays because it just looked odd. What I found watching the Leverkusen game, uh, there was a bit in the first half, I think it was, where Tony Rolfson goes inside and uh, one of the centre-backs plays him a pass. And he's like, he's almost in the centre circle. There's nobody in the right wing at all. Avada, it's miles away. He's on the touchline, miles away. And you're thinking... Well, leaving it to Tony Rolson to do something creative here. <laughs> As Alan said, you know, he tries hard, but, but, but that's not his game. And you're thinking that's such a huge risk to leave Tony Rolson with that responsibility. And if he's not up to doing that, why are we asking him to do that? Well, he's, he's going to ask to do that because that's the way Andrew wants to play. You know, so he is taking risks. That's the point Alan was making. And if it, the more risk we take, the chance of going to lose goals by doing that. And we've been fortunate, I think, this season. We maybe haven't lost goals We've lost the one or two, but maybe not, not kind of more than we could have lost. So the inverted fullbacks, if you've got the players to play that, I'm sure it'll work okay. But I think in that particular instance, the two of them shouldn't have been there. And one should have been and one should have been back. Uh, it's hard to get used to. I mean, kind of, there's not been a game this season where I've not shared at least 25 times get rid of the ball for the guys at the back. You know, that kind of back to Joe Hart, he sits on it and gives it to him. Get rid of the ball and... and they're never going to get rid of it because they've been told, keep the ball. Mm. When it works, it works really well. But it's heart attack football watching that. Real, real heart attack football. Uh, and it's been such a fascinating season so far. New manager comes in, whole new bunch of players coming in, whole new system. And it's and it's going to, you know, it, it will take time. That's why I think we have to cut the big chart some slack with us. You know, whatever players that he, that he tries, whatever system that he tries, I think we just have to get behind the guy. Inverted fullbacks, whatever else he's going to do, let's just see how it goes. It's worked for him in the past. And as long as we can keep on the coattails of the league leaders, then I'll be happy with that for now. Yeah, we need we need to catch up with the coattails, first of all, I think, before we're actually on them. But hopefully time time will tell and we'll get there. Um, thanks, everybody, for commenting. We, we, we're sitting at nearly 700 live viewers this morning and we appreciate every single one of you. Um, thanks very much for getting involved. As you as you see, we love hearing from you on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch and wherever you happen to comment. Apart from Jim, he's away. He's gone. He's <laughs> done for the day. Um, but, uh, Tony, I'll come on to you. You raised a... You raised an interesting point earlier um, about, uh, I can't remember if it was you or Jim, actually, you're both so interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yakimakis. I get that he's taking time to get up to speed and he's taking time to 
to bed in and things like that. But given that we've got Furuhashi, who's making very long um, trips back to Japan and, and the surrounding area for, for playing his international games, we are going to have to start relying on somebody else up front soon if we haven't already. Surely Yakimakis has got to start making an impact pretty soon or get the chance to at least. Beware of Greeks bearing goals, is that what you're saying, Lana? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but we've not really seen much of him, have we? Mm. Because he got injured in the warm-up to one of the games, which puzzled everybody. And then he's come on, he came on against Leverkusen, didn't he? Yeah. You know, when it was all a bit too little, too late. You know, and he came on uh, against, came on in the last game there, didn't he? Uh, come on against the United Aberdeen. Yeah, I think so. Just like literally, like you say, a couple of 10 minute appearances and whatever, but yeah. So nobody's really had the chance to see what it can bring. You know, the his, uh, DVD highlights package from Venlo suggests he's got a bit about him and a bit in his armory. And Alan will probably know the expected goals figures for Yakimakis and he'll be able to fill us in a bit, bit, uh, a bit more information. But you know what? I just think, see, if you're a striker at Celtic and you can't score goals, then there's something wrong, isn't there? Mm. Which is why I think everybody's kind of got a wee downer on a jetty because he doesn't do it often enough and the stats might bear that out or they might not. Uh, but, you know, you, you just you want your strikers to be a bit more. You know, Kyogo, as a striker, you know, he makes intelligent runs, doesn't always get the ball, but he's still in the right place at the right time and then... I made the point on Monday about the actual type of goal he scored last week. How many strikers would have had the presence of mind and the sharpness of the brain to put that in with their chest? Mm. That's very clever, yeah. There's not that many, right? You can't teach that. A jetty couldn't have done that. Mm. I'm not sure if Yakumakis would be capable of doing it either. So, you know, you, you different strikers bring different things to the table, but, you know, we've not seen anything of Yakumakis to make any kind of judgment. But I would like to see him up there and give him a try to start maybe the next game or whatever. But can you really drop Kyogo at this moment in time? The answer is no. Mm. So he's, he's going to have to be patient and be bedded in and given kind of cameos here and there. But it's up to Jack and Marcus to give the manager a decision to make moving forward. But I think everybody is curious. It's when, when every new signing comes in, you want to see what they bring to the table. I think Jack and Marcus has been unlucky because he got injured in the warm-up when he was maybe going to start and, and get the chance to make that impact. But I mean, in the fullness of time, he'll get his chance. But, you know, I, I say I can only go on what I've watched on the, the, the Venlo highlights and he looks as if he can score goals, which for any striker, that's all that matters, really. Yeah, it, it is the, the, the most important stat, as you say. But having said that, I'll come to Alan and, and ask... Um, do you have much information on Jakimakis? I know I'm springing on this you on this a little <laughs> bit. The, the the main stat that we have is, you know, that he was one of the top scorers in the Eredivisie, despite the fact that VVV Benmo were were quite low down in the table. So that in itself is a promising thing. You would expect his conversion rate for chances to be relatively high, considering he probably won't be getting many. But what do you know about Jakimakis and what he might be able to offer us once he does get a chance in the team? Yeah, so so listen. I mean, disclosure. So m- the data that I use, I collect myself. Um, but there, there are a lot of sources of data, and mm. most of the useful ones are um, subscription services. Mm. So things like StatsBomb, and uh, you know, to get full access to Y Scout data and so forth, um, or, or some of the some of the um, sites that, that that have got you know relationships with vendors and so forth. So I I um, relied on others like you know I mentioned the Cynics Analysis, Boys Analytics. There's a number of people that did excellent. Uh, assessments of Jakimakis when he signed a few months ago. So that's really, I'll be honest with you, that's my, uh, I, I, I listen to the experts as well on that one in terms of, uh, you know, w- w- assessing him. I mean, he's, he's a guy who doesn't, didn't have a particularly prolific scoring record until last season. Mm. Um, to score that many goals for a team that's relegated is quite extraordinary. Um, and obviously he, he, he was playing a role which in which you know the objective was to get him the ball in those goal, goal scoring positions what i mean by that is he's not a player that i think is going to wander around the pitch like a la edward and actually that fits in with how the strikers are playing under postacoglu i mean ayeti's involvement in games is is 
I mean, if you thought Lee Griffiths didn't have... Lee, Lee, I mean, I always used to joke about Lee Griffiths that he, he'd come off the pitch, he'd have had more shots than completed passes, which is just... <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't far it wasn't actually far, far much of an exaggeration sometimes. Um, and, and, and I think that, that is the case with Ayeti and, 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 and when Kyogo plays in that position... Postacoglu wants his strikers to play within the width of the 18-yard box and not to get involved in the build-up too much. He wants to get flat, flat, low crosses or cutbacks, preferably, into an area between the six-yard box and the penalty spot. That's the area that you're going to get the best chances in. It all makes perfect sense, and you need somebody in there. So, you know, Ayeti's had a chance, and he's not really taken it, in all honesty. His expected goals uh, of 0.57 is pretty disappointing. Kia goes over one, <laughs> which is kind of where Edward was at his peak. Um, so that's the sort of standard that Jakamakis uh, needs to aspire to. Uh, he's, a, he's a very different kind of player. He's, he's a big physical guy, 6'2", six, six I think. Um, the very brief I saw of him against Leverkusen, he looked like he had a, a decent touch, but um, I think we're going to get a different a different kind of uh, striker. He looks like somebody, he, I believe he's somebody who can left foot, right foot header. He's, he's got a lot of different goals that he scores. So pretty excited to see him. But he, again, he's not going to be someone that's linking the play, but getting involved in build-up. It's going to be a case of, you know, Yota Abada getting Rogic, Turnbull, threading balls through, getting balls into him. And then let's see, let's see what he can do. Yeah, I'm I'm always excited. I think the amateur football fan in me likes to see a, a new striker score goals. I like I remember being a kid and, and waiting all those months for, for George Cadet to sign with all the off the pitch things that happened that I read about in more detail in years to come, but uh for legal purposes, we won't go into that in any more detail. Um, uh, Jim, he's a strange one, Yakimakis, because my understanding was that he'd had a full uh, pre-season. Obviously, the, the injury and the warm-up aside, I'm, I'm struggling to understand why he hasn't been match fit before now to get his chance. Do you think Do you think it is a match fitness thing, or is, is there perhaps... You know another reason why he might not be getting into the team, or is it as Tony says, just down to to Furuhashi kind of making the shirt his own? So what you're alluding to there, another reason, Laura? <laughs> well, just uh, I, I don't know, perhaps perhaps a you know a, a struggling to settle that kind of thing, you know, a non-footballing reason, I suppose, that affects. The I suppose a non-an signings. I thought that's what you're getting. Well, well, I, I think we can. I think there's other ones that would come above him in the list. But I just think we've got we've got the top scorer in Holland last season. We need to see him at some point soon. And as I said earlier, I'd, I'd like to see two up front. You know, I'd like to see him play long, save Kyogo, uh, to see how that pans out. Maybe that's not an Ange way of doing things, playing two guys up front. I don't know, Alan, is, is that the case? He doesn't normally play two up front ever? Uh, not not, not I've seen, really. I mean, it's generally been a, either a 3-4-1. A uh, you know, three, three. It has played three at the back uh, on occasions, not not often, but generally it's a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three uh, usually. I think this guy turns out to be as good as we think, but well, as good as we hope he is, and we've got Kyogo as well, and we don't play both of them. To me, that's a wee bit rigid. I don't know. I mean, certainly at games at Celtic Park, we're going to have you know seventy percent possession, we're going to make lots of chances. To have two guys up front, and to see how Kyogo fares playing alongside somebody, because I think that would be an interesting thing to see. Uh, but if you've seen this guy who scored all these goals last season, we have to play him. But I'm a bit concerned that it's, a, it's an either-or. <laughs> mm-hmm. If we're going to play him, then we don't play Kyogo. Because as I said earlier, I think Kyogo playing wide is a, a man down. You know, he mm-hmm. just doesn't do it for me out there. So I'd like to see them both up front. I'd like to see him as soon as possible uh, to see what he's like. Because about last season where you know, we didn't play Turnbull and we didn't play Soro until December, and we thought, oh, look, those are, those are two really good players. I mean, if, this guy doesn't get a game for another couple of months and I've dropped more points and he comes and starts banging the goals, we'll then say, why don't you play him at the start of the season? Because oh, I said, now, because obviously he can score goals. So, yeah, it'd be good to see him as soon as possible, but that can either or is a bit of a concern. You know, because Kyogo is, he's our best player. So are we saying we have to leave our best player out to play this guy? That's a big risk to take. So, as I said earlier, I'd like to see two up front. That's how I'd get him into the team. And I've yeah. had it out, obviously. <laughs> I had, to, I had to jump away. That was a bad look for square go there. I had to, 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 didn't he mean it, honest? You're willing to just get rid of an expected assists ratio like that, Jim? Not get rid of, just temporarily. <laughs> on the bench. That's all I'm saying. I love him really, but just... just you know. 
he's, a, he's, he's a kid, remember? He's nine, like, I think he's just turned 20, so you've yeah. got to factor that in as well. That's true. I mean, you, uh, that's an interesting one, actually, Tony, that, that I was just uh, reminded of when Alan said that. Um, you know, Abada has only just turned 20. There's mm-hmm. been su- suggestions by others on the show um, and various other podcasts that I listen to that perhaps he's been held to a slightly higher standard than some of our homegrown players who are even a few years senior to him. Do you think that's a fair criticism of, of the Celtic support? Or do you think, you know, or is it more the other way? My, my personal opinion, to, to not set you up too much, is that um, we should have higher expectations of all players. I, I, th- I think 20 is young, but ultimately, you know, there's a lot of players that are showing their, their class by the age of 20, surely. Yeah, of course. But I actually think Abad has been a wee victim of his own early success. He hit the ground running when he came to Celtic. Yeah. You know, and I think at 19, when he came in, people maybe thought of him as a project player. But he came in and he, as I say, hit the ground running, scored a couple of uh, important goals and people were like, this guy's a real deal. Now, Alan was saying the stats back up, that kind of thing, but Jim's saying in a, in a few games he has fallen away, and, but he set a very high bar. So when you fall below that, you get criticised, don't you? Mm-hmm. you know, and and Alan alluded to Ellen as well, you know, he's a young man coming from a, a, a different country, coming to a... a a football lifestyle that's pretty intense, you know, there's levels, you know, and he's also learning a new system of football like many of them are, and include all the younger Celtic players that are in the team, so you do have to factor all of these things in. I quite like Abada. I, I think he, he's kind of, his performances have dipped, mm. you know, recently, and it's fine, and when James Forrest comes back, there'll be a, you know, a right battle to claim that starting jersey, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it might give Abada another G up, you know. So, but there are things that I like about Abada, and one of them is he's, he seems to be, I think Alan or Jim said it, that he seems to be a striker playing in a wide role. Yeah. You know, a nice for goal, a start, you know, and not many 19, 20 year olds have that, you know. So, I, uh, I, I take my hat off to him for that. I, I pretty much uh, I can empathise with these guys, you know, because they've came into a situation and it's it's a season that's going to be intense from the get go. They're all learning new things, the manager too, and the players. So yeah, I can understand the the peaks and troughs. But as Alan said earlier, the the stats in the bad are pretty high and they're pretty good. So we must be doing something, right? Yeah, just to, just to just to clarify, I think a bad is a good player. And no, I'm not he saying did, he, he, did, he did. He did. He did say in his first few games, I thought he was, he was fantastic. And yeah. like you said, Tony, you thought he's pretty good. Now, yeah. for me, this season, every player who makes the first eleven has to contribute. Has to be a, a seven out of ten at least. And I would say over the last four or five games, apart from the goal against United, he hasn't really contributed very much in those games. I, I think, irrespective of whether he's nineteen or twenty, to me it doesn't matter. Basically, you're in the team in merit. So you, can, mm. you, can be, you can be 45 and you can say, he's a bit old. Why is he in the team? Because I picked him. So if you picked him in the team, he has to contribute. And all I'm really saying is that I think he's a good player. He's got an eye for a goal. I think his form has dipped. Mm. And we think every, we need everyone at this particular point in time, seven out of tens every single game. And I, just, I don't think he's done that the past few games. And he's still in the team. And that's why I'm saying, I think it's time for a wee change in there. And I'd love him to the system to give Yakimakis a game to get back to the yeah. point earlier. Uh, I'd love to see that. I, I think I probably fall firmly square in the middle um, where I love what Abada does when he's on the ball and when he does it. But I think, like Jim says, he spends large portions of games just completely missing. And that might be, uh, to Alan's point earlier, the position that he's playing and the fact that, you know, sometimes the ball just doesn't get out there. But, you know, like like Jim says, we need... But at a stage where we need uh, sevens, eights out of tens from players across the field, and and we need to make sure that they're given the chance to do that as well. So we'll see how it goes. He's got off to a decent enough start anyway. Certainly a better start than a lot of signings we've had, and and I can see a bright future for him. And I think we all can. So, so uh, we'll Laura, see. just 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 on about it. Sorry, mm. so just on about it then. So just one one kind of key metric that I always use 
is scoring expected scoring contribution. Sorry, that sounds a real mouthful, but mm-hmm. expected assists plus ex- expected goals. Very simple formula: expected goals plus expected assists. So that's really when it comes down to it, it's your raw output. You know, chances you're creating, the quality of the chances you're creating, the quality of the strikes that you're having at goal. Um, so if you add up expected goals and expected assists for Abada, he's just under one per game. That means he, sh- he, yeah. he you know, his expected mo- model says he should be contro- contributing at least one goal or assist in every game. And for a wide player, that's fantastic. Only Kyogo and Edward would be above one. So out of all the other players in the squad, Abada would be, would be next ranked on that. He doesn't get involved a lot, but he gets involved in a lot of big moments, is mm. what I would say. Mm. And hopefully, you know, we have many more of those big moments to come. Uh, but for now, uh, we will leave you. Uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, that's been the Friday show with Tony, Jim and Alan. Lots of interesting conversation. Unfortunately, obviously, no game this weekend because of the international break. But you can always tune into uh, A State of Mind to watch any of the content that's already up there and subscribe to be notified when we go live at any time that we do go live, even if it's short notice or as it is today, nearly not happening at all. (laughs) But uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Alan. And thank you, everybody. This has been A Celtic State of Mind. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, Gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.